0: Okay, this morning we're going to begin uh, a new study in the epistles of Peter. And I like to do an introduction when we start a new book so that we get an idea of what we're getting into. Now to do that, I want to start in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. If you want to open up your Bible to Proverbs 24, verse Verse 10. You ask, what what do the epistles of Peter supply to us? What need do they meet? And it's right here in Proverbs 24, verse 10. If you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. If you are slack, in the day of distress, your strength is limited. Now the day of distress is what we would call today a crisis. That's when things go wrong. It's a time of trouble. It's a turning point for better or for worse. And there's an a good possibility that it could turn out worse. And that's when you show yourself to be weak. That's what the word slack means. If you are sinking, if you are unable, if you can't raise your arms, if you cannot respond to this crisis and instead it rolls you over, that's not good. You don't have enough strength to resist those bad outcomes should the crisis turn bad. You give way to superior power and strength. Now the thing about a crisis is it doesn't make you weak. It only shows what your strength is. You don't need strength and stability and fortitude to just get up in the morning and eat breakfast. Or, you know, to watch Netflix when there's a new series on. You don't need fortitude. But when it's dangerous, when there's opposition, when there's a challenge, when the situation changes unexpectedly, That's when you find out if you have the assured power to resist. Now, when a two-year-old comes right to you with a rubber knife and he is going to jam it into your body, do you have the assured power to resist? Here comes this menacing two-year-old. I'm going to slice you with my rubber knife. And you stand there with the assured power of resistance because you know you can take this two-year-old, right? Now, if this two-year-old should have a 12-inch Bowie knife, you know, sharpened, then you start evasive maneuvers but you think you can still take a two-year-old. Well, what happens when you lose your job? What happens when you get an eviction notice from your landlord? What happens if you get these astronomical rates and taxes? What happens when you get cancer? What happens when you get COVID-19? What happens when you're about to die? Do you have that assured power to resist? And the thing is, you don't want to wait until the crisis happens before you find out, do I have enough strength to manage this thing? Because when the crisis is upon you, it's too late to say, can we pause this? until I can scrape together some more strength? Because the crisis doesn't wait for you and say, oh, back off, guys. They weren't ready. we got to stop. How long will this be? Can we all get a burger while you're fortifying yourself and all? Crises don't care. They come barging in. So Peter is really interesting when you think about crises because he had crises. Things happened unexpectedly. Now the most painful crisis for him, I think, was that night when Jesus said, you know, you're going to betray me. And Peter said, not me, man. They might, but not me. And I'm going to follow you to the death. And Jesus says, tonight you're going to deny me three times. You're going to say, I don't even know him. But I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you turn again, strengthen your brethren. Know me. No, that's not going to happen. I am with you. I am right behind you. And then... After Jesus' arrest, he followed Jesus, and he tried to stick up for him. And here's this little servant girl saying, oh, I think you're one of them. He goes, not me, man. I don't know the guy. Here he is around a charcoal fire with a bunch of people warming up, and they go, you know, you're one of them. You talk just like them, you know. Not me. I don't know him. Denies him three times. Rooster crows. Jesus looks at him. Peter goes out. And he weeps bitterly. Now Jesus said, when you've turned back again, strengthen your brethren. And that's what Peter wants to do in these two epistles. See, he's writing to believers in Jesus, and all these disciples are going through crises. And you know that's true right up until this minute today. These epistles are relevant. Now, we go through these crises, and the pressure is on us to not follow Jesus, If we stick up our heads and say, I follow Jesus, then we're going to get into trouble. That is, we're going to suffer persecution, ridicule, opposition, all kind of ways to get this message across. You know what? You're wrong. Jesus isn't the Messiah. This is a bunch of hooey. You need to just get into line and keep your mouth shut. And you know, the message is, you should not be different from us. Our way is right. And when we get into crises, it makes us kind of anxious. I mean, am I the right, am I right to do this? Is this a good time for me to stick my neck out? Who needs danger? Who needs opposition? Man, I don't need that. So, you know what we need is fortitude. You probably don't sling that around a lot, the word fortitude. But it means the strength of mind that enables a person to resist danger and whatever else that makes you scared and want to pull back. Comes from a Latin word meaning strong. You need to be strong. And the reverse of fortitude, the antonym, is spinelessness. It means you lack the strength of will or character. It means a shameful lack of courage in the face of danger. And this little servant girl comes up and says, You're one of them, aren't you? And he should have said, Be quiet. And instead, he said, I don't know him. See? Well, Peter needed fortitude. He needed that strength of character to just stick up for Jesus no matter what. And he found it. He found the fortitude that enabled him to go through the crises of his life to the very end, to the point where they said, we are going to crucify you. He said, crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to go in the same way my Lord did." So they crucified him upside down. You think, how did he do that? And here he is writing to people who are going to go through the same kind of suffering, and he wants to give them courage. And he's writing knowing that he's going to die and he's more worried about them than about himself. How do you do that? Well, you see, Peter, in his epistles, always starts with doctrine first. And doctrine is not a complicated word, it's just the facts, facts about Jesus. Facts about God the Father. And it's things that we already know. Really, there's not a single thing in here, in these two epistles, that's going to be a surprise. It's everything you've ever heard before. Well, these are facts that we need to be thoroughly aware of. We have to master these facts so that when we hear them, we don't go, oh, yeah, 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 that's right, I forgot that one. Not only are we supposed to know these things and master them, we're supposed to turn around and teach them to other people. That is, you already know this stuff, but what about somebody else in the church? Do they know this stuff? So, you know, this one's called disciple-making. And all it means is, when you learn it, then you turn around and teach somebody else who doesn't know that. And that's not something that just the pastor does, that's something everybody does. When you come across somebody who doesn't know as much as you do and they need to know it, you tell them. Now, when was the last time you ever taught anybody about Jesus? You know, how long have you been a Christian? Have you taught nobody in that time? Something to think about. And what Peter wants to emphasize is is that we can't be weak in our grasp of these facts. You know, we resist danger because we're firm in our trust in Jesus. Jesus did rise from the dead. He is with me right now. Now, when the crisis comes, it challenges all these facts. Really? Is Jesus with you when you have to pay taxes? When you have to meet your deadlines? When your car breaks down? Is this a spiritual moment? What is the hymn for this car repair? (laughs) And that's the challenge. It's like, okay, keep that stuff in your little religious box. But out here in the real world, the rules are different. And you can't bring Jesus into everything. That's ridiculous. And we go, maybe you're right. Maybe it's Jesus in my little church But during the rest of the week, it's dog eat dog. And the one with the biggest fangs wins. Is that how we play it? You know when we act like that? We're acting like there's no God. And we believe in Jesus on the weekend, but we're virtual atheists during the week. And we live like atheists because we're scared to death. Now, it doesn't make sense, does it? But that's what we do. I believe it. I believe every word. I believe it's genuine leather stamped on the back. But then I'm scared out of my wits on Monday morning. So here's one part of Peter's message in First and 2 Peter. Thoroughly learn the facts. Get them down. And this is the first chapter of Peter up until about chapter verse twelve. I mean, he's recalling doctrine, and it's going to be mixed all the way through, but he begins with doctrine. And then he he begins to apply it. And in the Bible, the, the sequence is always doctrine first, the facts, and then the application of those facts, which answers the question, so what? So what if that is true? What practical use is it? How does that apply to my life? And so Peter begins to apply the teaching about Jesus. If this is true, then this is what needs to happen in your life. Because otherwise, you're living like a virtual atheist. And we get strong by practicing the truth. Now, it doesn't matter if you're no good at this at the very start. Everybody feels kind of like, I'm no good at this, you know, so how can I do this? Well, the answer is you do it anyway. You know, that's, when Katie started playing the cello, she wasn't whipping out Elgar's cello concerto on the first lick. It sounded a lot more like, (laughs) sorry kid, but it was. Okay. So you're not going to just step up to an instrument first thing and go, you know, wouldn't that be great? If you could. But it doesn't work like that. you got to practice. And you got to do drills. And none of that stuff is like super tingly exciting. But see, your teacher says, do it anyway. And as you do it, You learn it. You know, there's no such way of playing an instrument by the think method. Okay, think. And then you pick it up and you're brilliant. Not in this universe. So you actually have to do this in order to learn it and get better. If you don't put the truth into practice... It stays theoretical, and your life is just the same as before you received Jesus. You see, if it doesn't affect your life, it's not real. Nothing is changed until your life changes. And you know what? The truth is supposed to change your life. If you can have all the truth in the world up here, but it doesn't affect your life, you don't know that truth. Or you are holding the truth in unrighteousness. And you're suppressing that truth in unrighteousness because your life doesn't reflect it. You say, Oh, I believe all this stuff, but your life says, I don't believe a word of it. Not me, man. And you know the truth is supposed to master your life. You master the truth, you know it thoroughly, but then the truth masters your life. And as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, he said, for we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. We can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. So we can only notice some of the applications. Some of these things involve our individual lives with Jesus. So in verse 13 of chapter one, Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, you know what, get ready. Your life is to to be practicing getting ready. He says, be holy in all your behavior. Fervently love one another from the heart. In chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. You know, if you don't have a regular intake of the word of God, you're not going to grow. You're going to stay a baby your whole life and that's why some christians never grow up no intake they're not feeding on the word so they just baco baco that's it he says don't do that so then he talks about knowing what you what god has called you to be there in in chapter 2 verse 9 He says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's who you are. And then that truth affects your relationship with the world. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. It affects your relationship with your employer and your employees. The relationship between wives and husbands It's supposed to be different from everything else in the world. So that everybody looks at your marriage and goes, Wow. Be humble. Be prepared to suffer for doing what's right. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. That's an application of the truth. And then in chapter 5, he looks at the relationship of pastors to the church. And then he brings in this big application resist the devil. And the whole epistle, 1 Peter, can be summed up in verse 12 of chapter 5. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly. Exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. And other text traditions have, stand firm in it. If this is true, stand firm in it. That is the major application. Know the teaching and then live in it. Because it's true. Now, in 2 Peter, he brings in this idea of remembering what we've learned. And once again, he begins with doctrine. These great and precious promises by which you have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. And here's our two big choices Do we partake of the divine nature and share in all the goodness of God? Or do we become corrupted by lust? And that just means sinful desires that cannot be satisfied, but we're caught up in them. And they can't be satisfied because God says, there's no peace for the wicked. So we got all these desires that we want to fulfill And we can't. Do we partake of the divine nature, or are we just corrupted by lust? Now, he says, you remember these things because, he says, as you live out the truth in your practice, you're going to have a fruitful life, You're going to be able to see things as they really are. And he says, you will be fruitful, useful. All right? He says, if you don't remember this teaching, these great and precious promises, you're going to be fruitless and useless. Okay? Now, he says at, uh, at the end, well, verse 15, he says, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. See, Second Peter is about remembering. He wants you to remember this stuff so you can be fruitful and useful. Get that? He wants you to remember in chapter 2 because false teachers are coming. They're going to mess you up. But not if you remember the teaching. If you remember the teaching, you're going to listen to these guys and say, well, that's a bunch of hooey. I'm not going to be scared of this guy. He's speaking nonsense. Get out of here. But the problem is, in this day and age, people hear some teaching. They might hear some screwball stuff on the internet, and they go, I can't ignore this because this might be God, so I'm going to do whatever they tell me to do. And it's not biblical. I'm going to miss the next move of the Spirit if I, if I reject this. It's like, no, you're not because that isn't the Holy Spirit. How do you know? Well, I read it in my Bible, and these guys are out to lunch. Forget them. Quit watching their videos. They're stupid. But if you don't remember the truth, all these false teachers are going to run you over and pick you blind. They cost you know. Well, in chapter 3 of Second Peter... He says you want to remember the truth. Look at verse one. He says, beloved, I now write to you the second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder because Jesus is coming back. And so if you remember and practice the truth, you're going to be ready when Jesus comes. And what's the big objection? Well, Everything is just the same as it was for the last 2,000 years. You really think Jesus is coming? Well, if you remember the teaching, Jesus himself said that his coming would be like a thief in the night, and you got to get ready for that. You can't get ready after the thief hits, that's a little bit too late there. You have to be ready and waiting so that when it happens in an indivisible moment of time without any warning, you're gone. You have to be ready. And so he is emphasizing that you have to remember this stuff so it can all sum it up in chapter 3 verse 17 you therefore beloved since you know this beforehand beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked but grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ Don't get distracted. Don't get led away by some pinhead who's going to twist the Bible and rip you off. Just grow. Grow in the grace and knowing Jesus. So, you know what? Our natural sort of inclination is to say, well, I don't want a master the teaching in the New Testament. That's kind of hard. And I deal with hard stuff every day because I go to school or I go to work and it's like, uh, do I really need to master this stuff? There's more interesting things to do. And I agree. Sometimes, just for myself, reading my Bible, I think, you know what? I've read this stuff before. And I've read my Bible a lot. I can show you the dates. I've tracked this stuff back to 1974. And I know that that makes me an old guy. Because I am an old guy. Boy, I thought it was safe to go to church. Get me out of here. But you know what? The crisis is on the way. I'm enough of an old guy to know that it's not if, it's when. And just when you think, you know, everything's going great, weld it, pow, comes something devastating. And then, do you have the strength, or you just, pow, roadkill, Do you have the strength? You know what I'm hearing right now in the lockdown? Is that people are just pooping out. They're not not following Jesus. They're not going to school, I mean to church. You know what I'm talking about. They're scared to death. They're not scared to death to go to Tesco and buy nachos. Everybody knows you need nachos to live. But if it's go to church, you know what? I could die if I go to church. Now, you know, I know people are dealing with high-risk situations, asthmatics, and people in an older age group. I understand all that stuff. But you know what? People by and large, are scared to death to come to church. And a lot of times they just quit following Jesus. I used to go to church. I don't do that anymore. Okay, you know what? People are not standing up to the fear. They don't have what it takes to keep going. Now, you know, Jesus faced the end of his life with courage. Does everybody get that? When a group of 600 men armed with clubs and swords and torches came to arrest him, he stepped up and said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, here I am. And when he had to face down the Roman governor, the Jewish leaders, King Herod, He just told them what he needed to tell them, and a lot of times, he didn't even say a thing. He just defied them. And when it was his time to be crucified, he faced it. He despised the shame. You say, well, how did he do that? And some people have in the back of their minds, well, he cheated. He's God, right? So he's already this exalted being and he's not like us. I'm just made of flesh and blood. But you know, that's not true. Before he was arrested, he prayed for three hours and he prayed so intently that the capillaries on his forehead burst and blood mixed with his sweat. He was not looking forward to being beaten and whipped until his back was laid open and bare. He was not looking forward to being crucified. No sane person does. He knew he was going to die that evening. But he faced it with the assured power of resistance. Now, how do you resist death? You can resist being scared of death because you know you are going to rise from the dead. And he had that power to resist death because he was righteous before God. And so he knew that God, his Father, was going to raise him from the dead. That's what enabled him to face death with courage. Now, if you're not perfectly righteous before God, are you going to have courage when it's your time to die? Because if you're not perfectly Right with God, you're not going to heaven. You're not going to get raised from the dead. First, you go to the pit. That's where God forgets about you. From the pit, you go to the lake of fire that burns forever. If you're not right with God, death is only the start of the complete ruin of Of your soul. So you got to ask this morning do I have perfect righteousness with God? Do I know that God is going to raise me from the dead? Are you afraid to die of COVID 19 or diabetes? or heart attack, or dementia, or any of those things that you're going to die by? You know, I sympathize with anybody who doesn't know Jesus. I totally understand, because you know what? Death is a big deal. And if you're not scared of death, you're crazy. Because you're going to die. Does everybody get that? But then if you have received Jesus, are you afraid to die? And the answer is yes, if you do not have a grasp on the facts. The most important thing you can do in your life is to grasp those facts. Jesus died in your place. He took all of God's wrath upon him so that he could give you his perfect righteousness. And you must receive him as your substitute. You know what? If you've received Jesus, you can stand against death. You can stand against taxes. Those are the two big ones. Death and taxes. (laughs) And broken cars. And losing your job. And deadlines. And cancer. And there is no other way. Does everybody get me? Otherwise, the fear is too great. And the devil holds people captive by fear of death. You can't step out of line, you can't make another move because you're scared to die. But if you have perfect righteousness, if Jesus is your Lord, then you know what? You don't even have to be afraid of death you know you're going to be raised from the dead. And you know, we're going to take communion this morning. We're going to celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus until he comes. Does everybody get that? We're not celebrating a dead person We're proclaiming the forgiveness of sins and perfect righteousness for everyone who believes and trusts in Jesus. Now, do you have that? If you have that, then you can take communion. But we're going to receive Jesus now. We're going to put our trust in him. We're going to live with him right now. Let's pray. We want to thank you this morning, Heavenly Father. Because you have given us something that is infinitely more valuable than all of this world put together. And that is perfect righteousness. And that assured power To resist fear. And you know that we're not there yet. We haven't got some of the facts down. We know a lot of stuff, but then we forget a lot of stuff. And so when a crisis hits, we're not prepared, we're scared. We lose the plot. And we're sorry because of that. We want to turn to you this morning. And we want to put our trust in Jesus. Our great substitute. The one who loved us so much that he gave himself for us that whether we live or whether we die, we are yours. And that's worth more than anything else in this life. So help all of us today to receive Jesus. Help everybody in the live stream watching this to sort it out. But as for us today, we are going to follow Jesus. Bless our time of sharing in the cup and in the bread. As we sing worship songs, help us to draw near. And Lord, for everybody who's far off, who needs to confess sins, listen to us. Help us to confess our sins, and as we do, we know that you are faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins. Forgive us. Prepare our hearts now. For anybody who hasn't received Jesus, do it now. Say, come into my life. and save me, and make me a person after your own heart. Thank you, Lord, that you're faithful to your word, to those that received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, bless our time of Kenya now in Jesus' name. Amen.